0: Thank you, Sue. All right. If, um, if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open that to the uh, New Testament letter, uh, the book of Colossians. We are in a series, our first series as the Shore Church, uh, studying one of Paul's letters uh, to a church in Colossae. And so we're continuing. What we like to do is go verse by verse. And so we're in verses 24 to chapter 2, verse 5 this morning. Uh, as you're going there, maybe on your phone uh, or app or anything like that, we, I, I want to begin with this question. If you were asked, uh, as a Christian by someone who doesn't believe, uh, what do you Christians do? You know, like if you were just asked by someone who is totally new to Christianity and said, so, so tell me, like, what, what do you guys do? What, what makes your uh, purpose, your life different than everyone else's? Like, tell me about that. H- how would you answer them? If you were asked, maybe on a one-on-one, you know, in coffee with maybe a new Christian or someone who's just been struggling in their faith, and and they just asked you, hey, like, I've been thinking about this question, what is it that God uh, is wanting to do in my life? What is God wanting to do in my life? What would you say to them? As we come into this passage, I'm really excited because Paul, he is going to reveal to this church in Colossae two answers to those questions, and so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at this big question, what is the Christian Toil. What what is what does it mean to be a Christian? What should uh, your life, your faith be about? And then second, wh- wh- how should we concern ourselves as believers? Like what should be our greatest drive, our greatest passion? Now, if you are not a Christian, maybe you've been invited by a friend, really glad you're here. By the way, my name is James, one of the pastors here. Glad you're here. Uh, this will be a great Sunday for you to just get a window into what marks a healthy Christian, what marks a healthy church, Um, It's also a great window for you to understand what your friend is going through in their Christian journey Uh, And so really hope that this is helpful for you and also that you encounter jesus Okay, so that's where we're going. We're gonna look at understanding the toil. These are the two points What's the christian life about? What's the expectation you should have if you're a believer? And and number two who it's all about who is it all about? Okay You ready? So let's stand. We're going to do this. We're doing this for our new series for the reading of God's word. I'll read our passage and then we'll sit, we'll pray and unpack it. There it is. All right. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order in the firmness of your faith in Christ. Father, I just I thank you for your word. I thank you that we get to open Lord a living book that happened in real history where we get to hear from you through this. So I pray that Holy Spirit, you would help us here. That if you have something for us to to encourage us, to help us change, to help us grow, to help us understand those questions, because I know every believer in here wants to, to answer those questions. And so I pray that you would help us. I pray we would, we would be excited that we would like, get to mind this passage, that we would be excited about pulling it down into our lives. So I pray that you would help me teach, and I pray you'd help us Uh, want to learn and hear from you. And I pray if there's someone here who's not a Christian, that you would help them understand Christianity very clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So number one, understanding the toil. Let me just say as we get into this, the Christian life is a toil, okay? It's hard work. We can't read this passage uh, you know, with, with, without seeing the emotional exertion, the dedication, the drive, the devotion, the convictions, the sweat, the struggle that marks the Christian life, a life of living for Jesus. I mean, just notice, I'll highlight again some of the emotional language. In verse 24, he says, I rejoice in my suffering. I mean, there's a real emotional springing in his heart in what the suffering means, in what his suffering is going to do in others. Okay, verse 29, he says this, for this, Christian maturity, he says, for that, I toil. That word just, you know, it just means wear some labor unto extreme fatigue. The next word in that verse, struggling, L- literally means to, to strain, to get intense, It was a word that they would use of boxers in the early days, of fighting, of a mentality. I'm struggling. And I say this because too many Christians, and and, and sadly I find myself at times being one of them, either have no toil in their love of God, in their love of others, there's no drive, there's no hard work, there's no focus of intensity to get Christ, there's no sweat in pursuing Him, helping others know Him, there's no war in just hating sin and wanting to fight those inside desires that the Bible calls the flesh, there's no just drive, or, and this is why this passage is really helpful for us, too many Christians are toiling and struggling for the same things the world is and oftentimes are confused when God's not getting them what they want, right? What they're working towards, their agenda is not his. So when you talk to them, they're often frustrated. Like, I thought I was serving you, and I thought I was doing this for you, and things aren't going well. Okay, so this is why we need this passage today. We want to understand, this is my goal for us today. I want us to understand the toil of what ministry, being a Christian, will be like. So here's your expectations. If you're a Christian in the room, here's what to expect. Okay, here's the first one under this title, understanding the toil. It won't be easy peasy, okay? Easy peasy is what people are saying these days. So I'm relevant, you know, I'm relevant. Oh, he's really relevant. I say that. I say easy peasy. Okay, so it won't be easy peasy. It just won't. Here's how Paul starts it. Verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Okay, tell me more, Paul. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Now, I just wanna read this first line again. I'm rejoicing in my suffering for your sake. So, so here's a question. Have you ever sacrificed? Have you ever toiled, struggled? Something cost you for the sake of others' faith, of their growth, of th- that it just benefited them, but it really cost you? And, and then when you got to see the fruit in them or the opportunity they got to have, um, uh, you just had this joyful praise. You were like, oh man, this hurts me, but it's life in them, and that's exciting. This is a perspective of suffering in the Bible. that's just very different than any other Worldview, Paul often describes this kind of suffering, and it hit me this week. I was listening to a uh, a podcast where, where the leader um, he he was talking about seasons, and so so here's what it hit me. Um, h- here's what I typically tend to think: like I tend to think, you know, life is is has good seasons, and life has bad seasons, right? And the key to life is that you just have to get through the bad seasons so you can get to the good seasons. Right? Anybody? Anybody feel that way or think that way? I remember often telling Nikki, um, "Hey, babe, I think this is going to be a hard season." Right? Six years later, I think it's still hard. It's really... It's <laughs> when's the good season coming? Uh, you know what? Welcome to getting married to me. I'm really sorry. Um, <laughs> but this is what Paul is showing us. There's no hard, and then good. Rather, rather, it's really important for us to see. What to expect is the toil. There's going to be always good and always bad happening at the same time. You need to hear that, that there's provision and there's always lack. There's blessing and there's pain. And both of these are happening in the course of life. Rejoice and suffering. It's the Bible's language, okay? In Matthew 5, Jesus on this, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for living a Christian life, for having a walk that wants to follow Jesus, as well as he said, blessed are those who reviled or are slandered or falsely on his account. He says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. In Acts 5, Forty-one. When when they took some in the church and they beat them, and I mean like hit their legs and their backs, like this would have hurt them. Um, we read this in Acts five. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. So we rejoice in, in in different kinds of Christian suffering because we believe there's something more important, more precious, more valuable than our physical comfort, my convenience, as we pour ourselves out for the gospel. Namely, what is it? The glory of his name, that God looks great. God looks great when my suffering cost me all these things, but I have him, that he is still underneath it all. And let me just say this, if you don't have in the streams of your faith an awareness, Of his grace and what I'm talking about, to see down the river of your suffering that there's a spiritual lake of glory. Um, Like, if you don't have the long view of suffering in light of the eternal fruit, what you'll end up with is a heart confused, uh, brewing all kinds of bitterness where God seems um, like he's out to get you. And it'll be it'll be confusing because you'll you'll be like I I pursue you. I do this. I'm trying to live a Christian life, and I just keep getting hit and hit and rejected and pushed out, and it, it just it feels like you have betrayed me. How many of you you would say this is where you are this morning? You're like, James, to be honest with you, I didn't even want to come today. I didn't. And I, just, I don't need to hear another "go live for God" message. I don't because uh, you, you, you don't know you don't know how I don't see Him in my life. And, and I just want to point something out here. Hey, that is a really hard place to be. Like, that's a very real place to be. So I'm not I'm not minimizing that. But let me point out here, I don't think Paul expected as he wrote this that he would see the fruit of his letter. Like, I just I just don't think, well, in jail, I don't think he's holding out onto a tangible evidence that s- this suffering is going to produce something that he will witness. But by faith, he, just, he knew it would because he knows that his labor in the Lord is not in vain. And, and so he prays, and he's got this conviction to this end, and I say that because... Um, you may not get the satisfaction of seeing what and your suffering in the loving hands of God is gonna do. You, may, you just may not get to see it. But God sees, and the streams run that way. All suffering for the life of a Christian is a stream that's running into a greater glory that far outweighs it all. And, and so you will need to teach your soul faith, and faith is rejoice, I'm rejoicing in my suffering for your sake. So when you pour yourself out for others in suffering and it costs, know where the stream's going. And I want, I, perhaps, I, perhaps your greatest ministry will come, and maybe not right now, but will come from your deepest wound. Paul's greatest ministry came from the worst part of his life. Okay, so he continues. Uh, and this is where it gets confusing. It's, it's confusing. It's been confusing for centuries. Because what does this next sentence mean? Okay, look at it in your Bible. Verse 24, he says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. That's weird. Like, okay, so one of the benefits about going through this is what you're going to love about just be in the church here. One of the benefits about going through books of the Bible is you have to do something with the verses that you come up with. Like if we were just teaching topically, I probably wouldn't even touch this verse. But because we're going through the books, you, we gotta do something with hard verses. So what, what is he, I'm filling up, it sounds like he's making more complete what is lacking in Christ's affliction. So what does that mean? Well, over centuries, there's lots of options and opinions, but let me begin with what it's not saying. It's not saying that Jesus' work wasn't fully uh, completed, that Paul's like, oh, Jesus, that was good on the cross, but let me help. It's not like that at all. There's nothing that needs to be uh, added to the atonement. Jesus plus anything is nothing. Um, It's not that Jesus wasn't enough. No, the Bible is clear. It's finished. Jesus' salvation is lacking nothing, nor does it mean, the other popular opinion is that, that, that Christ has in design tons of suffering for us, And until that's filled up, he's not coming back. There's there's afflictions coming our way, and okay, so so those are some of the views. Um, And here's the truth: we don't know, like we don't know what he means. Uh, And so, what you do when you don't know what he means, because there's a lot of great Bible scholars who look at this, is you have to do your best with the context of what's behind it and before it, the context of the entire letter why he's writing, and the New Testament in the entire Bible. And so, let me give you my best explanation. Based on the context, okay? So here's what I think this is saying. That is, Paul sees the afflictions of Christ continuing, that's a very uh, chosen word, at the church. So let me explain this. When Jesus was on earth, the world afflicted Jesus without ceasing all the time. You can't go out through the Gospels without seeing the world wanting to afflict Christ. And with him gone, the afflictions are continuing towards him in us, okay? In a sense, the sufferings of Paul and of all Christians is simply the continuation of the world's quarrel with Christ. Let me show you this, because you have to think in your mind, prove it. Like, you show me what you're saying in the Bible, so let me do that. In Acts 9, Jesus comes to Paul, no, yeah, Jesus comes to Paul, and, and, and you'll read this in Acts 9. He says, and falling to the ground, he, Paul, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. So this is Jesus talking to Paul. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. So, so who's Paul persecuting in Acts 9? The church. Jesus says, that was me. I'm in them. What this means, by the way, is when you suffer, Jesus feels it. Have you ever loved someone so much that when they suffer, you just go, I can't, I'm suffering. Jesus loves you so much that when you're feeling it, he's feeling it. What the world believes is lacking in Jesus' suffering, Paul says, we fill up. We complete it. So here's, uh, the NLT says it this way. Here's one version of the English translation. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body. So that's what I'm saying. I'm saying it's continuing in us, because it's a strange, you gotta do something with that in your Bible, okay? Secondly, so not only are we bearing the afflictions that are intended for him, but I also think there's there's an aspect that we continue extending it, that the gospel message Is not fully complete in that it's not fully out into the world quite yet. Does that make sense? Okay. So, first, it won't be easy peasy. Second, under this understanding, your toil because we're we're asking what is the Christian, what's the expectation of the Christian life if you're going to follow Jesus. Um, So, it's not easy peasy. Number two, uh, our toil for Jesus is something assigned by Jesus. We are stewards. We need to understand that we are stewards. Let me show you this, okay? Look at verse 25. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. So here's the most obvious but very important understanding that you need to think in your mind. So you're ready to think it. You're going to think God has a stewardship of people in my life. So God has a stewardship for Paul that was different for Peter, different from ours. My stewardship from God, the people I'm called to love, make him known to, serve, give myself to, see all my resources as for his mission for them is going to be different than yours. You'll have a sphere of people that's going to be different than mine. But Paul, now don't miss this, okay? He began his day knowing that when he woke up, he had a responsibility to tend and manage the people God had in front of him. This presupposes that we are going somewhere and that God is doing something in and through us. Let me say that again. This presupposes that we are going somewhere and that God is doing something in and through us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That during our journey through this life, he's given us assignments, divine challenges, a vision for people. So wherever you are, no matter what you do, no matter who you are, no matter how gifted or whatever you think about yourself, you belong to Jesus. You bring the presence of God with you. You are therefore to love, serve, and bring Jesus wherever Jesus has you. Okay, so let me ask you this. What would it look like if you woke up each day thinking, I'm a steward from God for those people? What would it look like? What would it look like if you woke up tomorrow and said all the things? resources I have, the money in my bank, uh, the food, the energy, the gifts, their resources. I'm a steward for those God's put in front of me, my friends, my children, uh, my workplace, other one another in the church. How would this change the way you saw all of that? How would it change the way you spend your time? And we need to understand this because this is biblical truth that we exist as stewards from him. Okay, so turn to the person next to you and say, You're a steward. Just just do it. Yeah, good. Yes. So let me ask you this another question, all you stewards. Okay. Has God made clear to you what he wants you to do or to believe him for? Have you come to him and said, I am a steward? Have you? Uh, Have you conned him and said, I will go where you send me? I'm yours, use me. Let me ask you this. If God made clear that the next assignment he has for you meant that you had to downsize your your home or or your resources, uh, give away some of what you have, and no longer be able to uh, live out some of those activities and appetites, those comforts and joys that you are accustomed to having, would you do it? Like, is the posture of your heart, my life is all stewardship? you know how free you would be? You would be so free. Can you say, I mean, honestly, you just ask you and the Holy Spirit, can you say, I won't allow anything to hold me back from trusting God with my future and the assigns, assignments he has for me? Can you say that? I'm, I won't allow anything to hold me back. That I'm, I'm his possession, I'm not my own, I belong to him he died so that I would no longer live for myself but for him. Okay, so that's that's how you got to understand. The Christian life is not easy peasy. It's not your own and you're a steward and it's it's exciting, it's amazing. It means you're you're consciously thinking of what is God wanting to do. By the way, that's an adventure. Like if your Christian life is kind of boring and I read my Bible once a month and then I go to church and nothing changes, And Save on Foods has this on sale. (laughs) And I can't wait for the next sale. I wonder if they'll have $10 meat. Like, it's just, is it boring? What if you woke up and you were like, hey, I'm a steward. Like, who will I see today that you're at work? And like, I mean, it's just different. And then, notice this. He says, verse 29, uh, that, that it's his power, his energy This is a strange, cool verse. By the way, he doesn't have to say this. Like he doesn't have to, there's some senses that he doesn't have to say. This is, you don't even, look at verse 29 if you have your Bible, but I don't have it up for you, but look at it. He says this, for this I toil. So he's gonna talk about Christian maturity. We're gonna get to that. But he says, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So I'm talking about understanding the toil and the Christian expectation is that you are struggling struggling and toiling, but there's another force. There's another energy working within me. It's amazing. Paul's secret is a complete reliance on God's power and energy. Even in the, again, he doesn't have to say this, but Paul has this conscious, consistent, concentrated reliance on the energy of God, needing the power of God. Why? Because like all spiritual fruit, we want to see in us, in our kids and those around us, our work could truly only be accomplished if God shows up, right? We can only bear fruit if God shows up. What this means is it doesn't rest on you, but you need his energy, his power, because we toil, but God is at work. So can I ask you this question? Where are you seeking change without his energy? His energy is his presence, it's his power, it's your belief that he's going to work. If you watch Jesus all the time when he's interacting with those on the earth, he does say things like, do you have faith, do you, have faith? Do you believe? He's calling that out, and so what, well, how do I get his energy? You know, that's a good question. I ask that question. I want this toil to have his energy working within me, and so I just asked him for it. That's what I did. Holy Spirit, I can't do this. I need your help. Will you help me as I'm writing this sermon? Will you help me as I'm praying with this person? Will you help me as I'm counseling? Holy Spirit, I can't do this. Will you show up? And he does. And at times it may not feel like anything, but then there's times you'll walk away and go, that was not me. Like something was happening. That's what he means. Paul's toil is like, we have another power at work in us. Okay. So that's the first major point. That's what your toil is to look like. Okay. It's not easy peas. Uh, you're a steward and you need his energy. Number two, what's life to be about? What changes everything? The whole name of this series is what Jesus changes everything he does. So what is the Christian? So again, the first question, when someone came up to you is, is, so what, what is, what is all this Christian thing about? What do you guys do? What's your main thing? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We love Jesus. We listen to Jesus. We follow Jesus. Look at what he says. I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. He explains this in verse 26. The mystery, this is how the word is not fully known. It's a mystery. So the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And then he tells you the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, what does that mean? What is this mystery? So let me explain how this would be a mystery, and then how amazing it is that Christ is in us, because it's earth-shaking. So, okay, in Genesis 12, if you know the Old Testament, God comes to a guy named Abram. Right, and he soon becomes Abraham, and he tells him, uh, "I am going to make a nation. Uh, of They're going to be my people. I'm going to be their God of all the nations, and you're going to be the father. Um, and And all the people will be blessed through your line. And 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 so then, you, if you know the story, Abraham uh, grows a huge family. Got 400 year gap, and then Moses. All of God's people are now under Pharaoh, uh, and, and they're being oppressed by Pharaoh in Egypt. So God hears their cries, raises up a guy named Moses. Who who comes in and acts like a rescuer, a mediator uh, through the ten plagues that you know about? You hear about uh, judgment comes over Israel. It's paid in their place, so they're passed over. Blood represented that their sin was covered by another, and they come out of Egypt. But because of their disobedient, they get put into a wilderness where then God rolls out the law, the Ten Commandments. And he just says, here's how I've designed the universe to work. Here's how you're going to get life to the full, life with me. Here's how our relationship's going to thrive. And yet he knows they're born in sin. And so when they see that law, they're not going to only go, okay, well, I can't achieve that, but they're going to feel the guilt and the weight of disobeying how things are. And so what does God do? He rolls out a sacrificial system where they're going to understand they need atonement for their sin. It's all going to be pointing to this mystery that's going to be revealed. And then during that time, God doesn't leave them. He dwells with them. How does he dwell with them? Do you remember? Tabernacle or a temple. And so you have in two epochs of Israel's history, the tabernacle. And what the tabernacle did is it would travel around. It would move to different nations. Why? So that the nations could see the God of Israel and want to come in and praise him. So there was always a heart to go out to the nations. And then you got the tabernacle, which was in the center where David was, where, where, No, the temple where people would come to meet with God. So, so follow me here. They're waiting for a Messiah. God promised and through Abraham, there would be a Messiah. But their question is, is how will this work? Because if the promise is that, that all of God's people will have, uh, the presence of God with them, where will he be? How will that work? How's it, how is the presence of God and the Messiah gonna come? Well, maybe it'll be through this big military thing and then the Messiah will come and knock out the nations and there'll be one place. And so they're, just, they're not understanding how God would um, come and, and, and live with them and be with them. How is it gonna work when the Messiah is a moving tabernacle? How is it, this whole thing gonna happen? So then the mystery of God is revealed. What happens? Jesus Christ comes. And he's the Messiah. And after he uh, pays for sin, rises from death, something amazing happens. What's that? Well, in Acts, Peter speaks up and he says, there is forgiveness from God in Christ Jesus because on the cross, Christ paid, died, and rose again for you so that when you have him, you're accepted and forgiven. And they're like, that was the Messiah. And they believe in him. And what happens? The Holy Spirit comes into the Christian So there's no longer a temple or or a tabernacle. Now Christ's presence is in them. They now have Jesus living in them. That's how God's gonna dwell with them. How? In his people. Then, not only in that, but you have the Spirit just exploding the church Hundreds of Jews are being saved, 3,000 in one day, and then you get into later in Acts where this guy named Cornelius, who was a God-fearing Gentile, comes to the Jews because he's hearing what's happening with the Holy Spirit, and God saves them. He saves a Gentile, and then they're all freaking out. So what they do is, what church people do is they get together and they have committee meetings. So they went and had a huge committee meeting and said, hey, should the Holy Spirit come to the Gentiles? you don't decide that the holy spirit does and then all of a sudden you have this vision from peter of god including everyone and the gentiles now have god the holy spirit in them christ in them because they believe the gospel that's the mystery jesus in us the actual present presence of god can go into the whole world because he's going to dwell in his people and no one saw that coming Th- that's why it was a mystery so so, follow me here. God in us, the hope of glory is so wonderful, so glorious, so astounding, because what Paul is saying, think about this with me, is what Jesus has done, what Christ has done, was not, and if you're not a Christian, you need to hear this, because you can't become a Christian without it, it's not external to him. Meaning, the gospel is not an idea to be believed, but it was an actual presence inside of him. So follow me here. God the Father delights, loves, has favor on you, and can never be taken away. How do you know that? Because Jesus is in you. You're his. His new life is your new life. His perfect obedience is your perfect obedience. His death is your death. His resurrection is your resurrection. Paul says you've been crucified. You're not you anymore. you anymore. You're new. So, so look, look right at me. How do you know you'll make it to heaven? Because he did, and he's in you. How do you know you'll be accepted before God? Because he was accepted, and he's in you. How, I mean, just how do you know you'll have resurrection, the forgiveness of sins, and all of that's true because it happened to him, and he's in you? Everything that is Christ's is ours. For he is in us the hope of glory. Glory. And let's be clear, this passage, as he goes on in verse um, 3 of chapter 2, he says, in whom all are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, which is Christ. One commentator put it this way, he is our glory. Being with him, to know him, to see him, to relish and enjoy God for all that he is, is what we long for, it's him. Jesus says to his disciples in John uh, 14, he says, let your hearts Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I prepare a place for you, I will will come again and I will take you to, what is it? Myself. All of it's about getting you Christ. Forgiveness of sins is just good news because it gets you Christ. Heaven's going to be good news because it gets you Christ. Christ is the good news. Jesus is so great that he's ready to receive you to himself and have you forever with him where he is. Okay, those of you who know uh, Tim and Shelly Hardy, where are you guys? Over here. Um, you know that they've been prayerfully and, and faithfully praying uh, for a really good friend of theirs, Coach Harry, um, who died uh, last Saturday, uh, Sunday, Monday. Monday. He died on Monday. Yeah, Monday. Um, they have spent months, months, just showing up, sharing the gospel, and and with Harry, it was nothing. It was nothing. It wasn't getting in. And um and I know if you if you're in their community group, you've been praying for weeks. And and I've I remember one time visiting Harry with Tim and just sharing the gospel and trying to help him understand what resurrection would mean and and just nothing. I remember just telling Tim, he can't hear us. And then there's there's a there's a strange verse in First Corinthians four, it's like the God of this world has blinded the minds from unbelievers, from seeing. They just can't, he couldn't see it. And there's nothing we could change to the message. And I just told Tim, like you're doing an incredible job. You're an amazing friend. And then it was really interesting. That, uh, f- it, then I guess it was Thursday when I visited him with Tim or Tuesday. But, but the week before he passed, um, we went and hung out with Harry. And it was very interesting. He said, one of the things I, I, I don't want to believe, why? Like, just why? You know, like, what would, what would make you not want to believe in oh, all the things? So we made it clear again what the gospel is. Because um, he said, I, the reason you guys want me to have the gospel is because you want me to have eternal life, and I don't want to die yet. So if I believe, he'll take me. And I, and I remember just stopping down going, um, man, I get that. I mean, if that's the only reason you want Christ the only reason you should get Christ is that we believe that you'll go to heaven. And that's great. I mean, that's true. I mean, that's worth it. But for him, the present reality of loo- losing his family, if he believed, was way too painful. So he, he didn't want to want to believe. And then we just said to him, don't believe in Jesus because he gives you eternal life. Though he does. Don't believe in Jesus for that. Like I said, I I remember saying to him, um, Harry, believe in Jesus because there's no one like Jesus. There's no one more loving than Jesus. There's no one more beautiful than Jesus. There's there's no one that you exist to worship more than Jesus. Um, You should believe Jesus because he died to have you, Harry. Like you should believe in Jesus because he wants you, he loves you, he died for you not to get some charts in heaven. You're not like a number to God. He's like a loving father, and he wants you to have a relationship with him because Jesus is great. So if you're gonna become a Christian, don't believe because you'll have eternal life, but believe because you haven't had the greatest relationship in the universe yet, and that's in Jesus Christ. And then we just prayed for him to that end, and and um, we left, and, and then by God's amazing grace, he gave his life to Jesus on Friday night, Friday night with Tim there. So praise God. Yeah, he did. Praise God. But I want you to hear this. When, when Harry trusted Jesus and he did, all that Jesus is for him came into Harry. It's not about us, it's about Jesus. Our kids are about Jesus. Our marriage is about Jesus. Our jobs are all about him. It's all about Jesus. That's who it's about, it's about Jesus. If Jesus doesn't come out of that sentence to that question, you're missing Christianity. This is Paul's passion. Second passion, or or second what it's about, is those whom Jesus is in. Last point here. We'll speed through this one. He says this, verse 28, Him we proclaim. We exist to make Jesus known. It's Him. What's the Christian life about? Proclaiming Him? Warning everyone. Let me ask you this. Who in your life needs loving warning? Hey, the way you're living right now, that thought process is, is going to get you to worship money, not Jesus. That way of thinking or living or not living is gonna actually push God out into the margins of your life and that will destroy you because you're gonna start trusting in other idols. Who do you need to warn? Who's not centered on Christ? This is your role. This is your role. Who do you need to say, I think you need to repent? I know I'm your friend. Who do you you gotta talk to? Who do you gotta go to this week? Who would the Holy Spirit right now say, yep, I've been telling you, that pastor just told you. I'm telling you. Who's coming to mind? Who are you afraid of offending? Oh, they won't like that. Of course they won't. They won't. But that's not why you don't do it. When it comes to loving, there's warning. There's teaching. He says teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? Why? What? Here's the goal. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. Okay, so the second question I asked you in the front end is what is it that God is wanting to do in my life? This is your answer. That's the answer. God is wanting to make you mature into the image of Christ. That's what he's doing. So short church, your growth and godliness, your spiritual maturity is, is one of, if not the biggest passion of God. Like that's his passion for you is that you would be serious in your maturation into Christ. That's what he's fired up about. If he sends anything your way or lets it come into your life, he's getting you there. He's growing character there. That's why Paul says in Romans 5, consider it pure. No, uh, Romans 5, like we suffer so that you would have character. Character produces hope. Hope produces perseverance. Perseverance, it goes on to character. So let me ask you this. Are you excited about the muscles of your godliness or more about the muscles of your body? Are you more excited about the fitness of your health or the fitness of your spiritual health? What habits do you have? What disciplines do you have? Here's a cool verse. Paul in 1 Timothy says, have nothing to do with irrelevant silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. Is godliness something that you're training for? How many of you right now, if I was like show of hands, your training for godliness would be like boom yes. And you're like, I know what Monday's going to look like. I'm training for this. And then he says this, okay? I actually worked out this week. I know you can probably notice when you came up, you're like, is that him? <laughs> yes. It's still me. It's still me. I look different up here because I'm just doing push this week. Um, but, but look at verse, well, verse eight says, for while bodily training is of some value, it shows, godliness is of value in every way, why? Notice this, as it holds promise for the present life, okay, so so he just said it holds, what you sow into godliness will have a life-changing impact today on what you do, but then, and I don't know how this works, but he also says, you sow into that uh, on, on, on April 30th, something's going to happen when you get to heaven, in 3,000 years from now, and also for the life to come and into eternity. And, and you got excuses. And they're gonna look foolish to God when you get to heaven. Your excuses to not sow into godliness, you'll just know when you see him face to face, you'll be like, I don't have an excuse. He'll be like, I love you, man. My, my righteousness is, like, he'll just love you, but... Right now, I'm just saying you're missing out. It matters. It matters. Okay, why, Paul? Why? Why all this like toil and struggle and maturity and present them and, and mystery unknown. Christ is in you. What's, what are you after? Look at this last part. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. That's our motive, Love and in unity and, and oneness. I mean, all of it's just this beautiful family of what it means to be the church. So if you choose to live in willful isolation as a Christian, you will have a faith in Jesus that will retard. It just will. And here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna slowly drift to look for other saviors. If you're not involved in the life of the local church where you see one another as a family that you gotta use your gifts to build up, it will You will not grow. That's what he's saying. They knit together in love that they're encouraged. So the heart of every Christian is, who am I encouraging, who am I loving, how am I, how am I giving unity with the gifts God's given me? And sometimes that's warning people. Sometimes I could just keep preaching. So let's close. Will you rise with me as we respond? <clears throat> I think this, we'll stop here. This is good because we're gonna pick it up next week where he says, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, establishing your faith. It's exciting. Understand the toil. So as we respond, here's what I want you to think about and do with God. It is out of those three toils, um, that, that suffering, it's not easy peasy, that you're a steward, like God, use me, that I'm not I haven't been working in your energy, one of those I want you to come and I want you to talk to him about it I want you to respond to him I want you to at least take whatever he put on your heart and take one and just you pray about it, lift it up to him and then and then secondly where he has not been a, a pursuit and wanting to see growth of godliness where you're mature in Christ where you haven't been faithfully walking in his word just go will you help me in that like I don't have I don't have the energy and but will you just get, help me God help me I, I want April 30th to count spiritually, and I want to be used by you, will you have that conversation with him? Can we do that? Okay. Um, And and then what we're going to do is that we're actually going to physically uh, partake of what he just said spiritually. So he just said, Christ, which which is the body representing his body, and all that Christ has done for you, your sins are forgiven, you're accepted before the Father. He says that this Christ... dying dying for you where his blood was shed is in you. So now it's physically going into me. That's the symbol. So when you're a Christian, you come when you're ready and you partake of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And just praise him as we sing. Let's just praise him. There'll be a prayer couple here, and then Sue will close our time. Let me pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Help us, Lord. We can't do this without you. We want our lives to be an adventure. We want to think your thoughts. We want to have your passions. We want to struggle and toil with the right things. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd help us respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Come when you're ready.